And we see this in church often. Those who have been fired up for the Lord, and you think, man, God's going to really use that person. God's going to use great things with that individual. And then they just fall off the face of the earth. They disappear and they fall from faith. It's a danger we all need to be aware of. Welcome to the Cleansing Word. We invite you to stay with us as Pastor John Pinnell of Calvary Chapel Lake Villa takes us through a verse-by-verse study from God's Word. Each Monday through Friday, we'll be airing messages to encourage you in your faith that you might grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I hope that you enjoy this broadcast, and I'll return at the close of this teaching to give you more information about our church and how you can obtain a copy of this message. Now here's Pastor John with today's message from God's Word. Today we're looking at Colossians 4, Stand Perfect and Complete is the title that I gave this. And today I'd like us, as we close out the book of Colossians in chapter 4, as we are striving to stand perfect and complete, that we are to be just and fair, we're to be vigilant in life, we're to be complete in all things, and to be attentive as well. I find it interesting, I, I thought in the first century, you know, the church is saying, God opened doors for us to preach the gospel. How much more should we be praying in the 21st century? God opened the doors that we can proclaim and speak the mysteries of Christ, especially in a day and age that's saying, hey, you guys got to stop talking about that Jesus. So we seek for the Lord to open doors of ministry. A long time ago, it was only one time, but we had someone call the radio station saying, I was listening to your station. I thought it was a rock station. And then you're singing about Jesus. I'm calling the FCC. And I'm thinking, well, go ahead, call the FCC. They gave us a license to do this. So we're totally legal. But she was upset that the rock music she was listening to uh, proclaimed the name of Christ. They get upset when you go outside the doors. And we should be praying, though, for those open doors here in the 21st century. They were threatened in the first century in Acts 4, 29 and 30. And they prayed, Lord, they were told not to speak in the name of Jesus any longer. They're saying that to us today. This is how the church responded. Acts 4, 29 and 30, they said, Lord, look at their threats and grant your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word by stretching out your hand to heal that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And Paul often prayed for these open doors. He did so in 1 Corinthians 16, 9. He asked for a great and effective door, he tells, of one that's been opened before him. Even though there were many adversaries in 2 Corinthians 2, 12, He says, furthermore, when he came to Troas, 
The door was opened to him by the Lord there. And we learn in Revelation 3, verses 7 through 8, that Jesus says, I'm the one who opens and I'm the one who closes these doors. So who should we be asking to open the doors of ministry for us? It should be the Lord. He's the one who opens. He's the one who closes. So we're to be those who are to be earnest, vigilant in our prayers, praying with thanksgiving, praying for others, seeking the prayer of others, and praying for open doors. And also we're to be vigilant, a word that means to be to keep awake, to watch spiritual alertness in our grace toward others. Verses 5 and 6, walk in wisdom toward those who are outside, redeeming the time. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. So walk in wisdom toward those who are outside, those who do not believe in Jesus Christ. Have wisdom when you deal with them, when you speak with them. It refers to how we conduct ourselves, how we present ourselves before others. No matter where we're at in all the different circumstances of our life, and we can go through stuff, the loss of loved ones, a job, physical health, and yet how we represent Christ through those difficulties, it's significant. People are watching. People are watching. A couple of weeks we're having... Uh, Spark come out on Valentine's Day to teach. He's the executive director of Love in the Name of Christ. I thought, what better day on Valentine's Day to have a ministry that has love in its name to come and share the love of Christ with us and the work that they're doing in the community. Also to uh, perhaps teach us how we might be able to serve in our community or some outlets that we might have as well. But I've been on the board of Love Inc. for 13 years, and I can tell you that through the years, we have events, galas and stuff, and there's been this underlining question of, why can't we serve alcohol at these things? We could probably raise more money if we just have a little booze there. And one person even said, let's get them drunk that they'll give a lot. And I'm thinking, <laughs> all right, this is love in the name of who? That C stands for what? And, uh, you know, we made a policy, no, no booze at a Love, Inc. events. But the policy gets challenged. And this February, got to deal with that policy again. People are watching. And I've argued in past that we minister to people. It's love in the name of Christ. And you're pretty much ministering to the people that struggled with drugs, with alcohol. They've been on welfare and sometimes to the third and fourth generation these days we're trying to bring them out or at least to be a stepping stone out of what they've been stuck in and we cannot fall prey to the same vices and how would that look and what i was thinking of i was at a wedding many years ago that someone from the church had gotten married and you know we did the whole thing of the wedding rehearsal and the dinner and and during that, the rehearsal, the dinner, I ended up talking to this guy for quite a while. And then at the wedding, you know, after the wedding was over, and then you have the dinner, and my job was to say the prayer, and then festivities go on from there. But they often do the toast, and it gets kind of awkward because the glasses are there, and, and there's a lot of people that don't give the option for the non-drinkers, but... And that particular one, I always don't, by the way, I don't. 
But that particular one, as I declined, Lily leaned over and said, the guy who was in the wedding party that I was talking to on Friday night, when the gal came to him, he also declined, but she said, he was watching you. And I don't know what this guy's past struggle was, but what if me, if I didn't decline, and he was, all well, the preacher's doing it, I might as well drink too. I don't know, but he, Lily knew. I didn't see it at all, but she said he was watching you and how you responded. People are watching us, and we need to be vigilant in our graces toward others, how we live, have a spiritual alertness, how we walk, redeeming the time to those who are outside, those who are unbelievers. In 1 Timothy 3, 7, Paul said that we'd have a good testimony among those who are outside. In 1 Thessalonians 4, 12, that you may walk properly toward those who are outside, that you may lack nothing. But we're also to have wisdom to redeem the time. In context, the Greek word means to buy a slave, to free him. But in context, well, the word literally means to buy a slave. In the context of our passage, it means to buy up every opportunity. Don't squander the time that the Lord has given you. Benjamin Franklin, he's known for saying this, a little old English here, dost thou love life? Then do not squander time, for that's the stuff life is made of. He's also the one who came and coined the phrase, or at least it was written in his advice to the young trademen, time is money. We've kept that one. A lot of people like to say that one. You know, time is money. Paul's saying, redeem the time. From a purely human perspective, life is short, and we must redeem, we must buy up the time that God has given us and to have kingdom purpose in mind. Also, Wisdom of grace and salt. And grace just speaks about having the best interest of others at heart. Now, as John flew in from Hawaii last night, we picked him up, told him that Portillo's uh, is in Gurney now. And he says, that sounds good. Kauai and Italian beefs, uh, they don't really have them. So if you're from Chicago, you want a good Italian beef, you got to find a place that knows how to make them. Usually you don't go to Hawaii to find that stuff. And besides, why get an Italian beef when you're in Hawaii unless you live there? You might be homesick. So we stopped in and Portillo's, you guys been there yet? And Gurney, just crazy busy all the time. They finally pulled down when it got to minus eight. They couldn't have their circus tent up where they were using overflow for the big seating. I have this habit with the grandkids here on their birthday, I take them out for lunch, and Portillo's is the spot this year. I'm getting burned out on it, but the kids love it. Portillo's again? But I went back for a refill, and here's the purpose of the story. I noticed with like 40 people standing, waiting for their food, crazy busy, everybody looking for tables, the gal working the soda pop, she was as busy as could be. And I just made sure that when I asked for my refill, that I was very polite, that I smiled, that I said thank you. And it only took a moment, but to just to validate, this gal's serving, and she's working hard. They're busy, and I could see it in her eyes. She was a little frantic. I just took a moment just to say thank you. And it wasn't much, it wasn't a lot, but I think it's that wisdom of grace and salt, how we conduct ourselves when... Others are especially serving us and helping us. 
And salt itself, in their day, it preserved things. It preserved meats, and they would use it, but it can flavor life, and we use it that way today. And we can speak words that can add flavor to people's lives, or we could be totally reversed in that. And so we're to speak wisdom of grace and salt. Verses 7 through 15, as he wrapping up his letter, he begins to name some of the brothers who had been serving with him. And he begins in verses 7 and 9 with Tychicus and Onesimus. He said, Tychicus, a beloved brother, a faithful minister, a fellow servant of the Lord, will tell you all the news about me. I am sending him to you for this very purpose that he may know your circumstances and comfort your hearts with Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother who is one of you. They will make known to you all the things happening here. And so Paul says, I'm writing this letter from prison, and here's your mailman. Their name is Tychicus and Onesimus. And Tychicus was first introduced to us back in Acts chapter 20. He was a believer from Asia. He accompanied Paul with a few other men to Jerusalem, where Paul was arrested. And we find that when Paul now is in Rome in prison there, he's with him again. So he's stuck with Paul for a long time, well over three to four years. He's still hanging out with Paul. He's serving. For Paul in prison, it was, it was a matter of, you know, sending one guy here or one guy there and, and kind of trying to care for the church from a very difficult location. And he was dependent on these men who came alongside to serve him. Onesimus, he was a runaway slave that we learned about in the epistle of Philemon. And he came to faith in prison from the preaching of Paul. And Paul referred to him with great love in Philemon 10. He says, I appeal to you for my son, Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my chains. Verse 11, he was once unprofitable to you, but now he is profitable to you and to me. And so Jesus Christ, he changed it all because of faith in Jesus Christ. Aristarchus, Mark and Justice, he mentions in verses 10 through 11. He says, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you with Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, about whom you received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. A little extra note about Mark. And Jesus, who is also called Justice, these are my fellow workers for the kingdom of God who are of the circumcision they have proven to be comfort to me. These are my Jewish brethren. That's what he's saying. All the other guys who were with Paul at this time that he names were Gentiles. They were uncircumcised. They were Gentiles. But the three Jews that had stuck with Paul at this time, Aristarchus, Mark, and Justice. Aristarchus, again, he was actually arrested in Ephesus when the great riotous mob broke out over Paul's teaching. Aristarchus was the one that got arrested, and yet he stuck with Paul. He went down to Paul when he went to Jerusalem. Two years later, he was on the ship when Paul was transferred to Rome, and now a year or two later, here he is. He's still with Paul as Paul's writing these letters. Mark, remember, he's John Mark. He's introduced to us. He wrote the Gospel of Mark, but he's introduced to us as the cousin of Barnabas, and we know, and this is wonderful, we know exactly who he's talking about. It's not another Mark, it's Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. Yeah, he's the guy in the first missionary journey that when times got tough, Mark bailed on us. 
He actually caused me and my partner Barnabas to break up and we split up during the second missionary journey. I took Silas and Barnabas took Mark. But years later, here's Mark. He stuck it out. And how encouraging. You know, we can blow it in faith sometimes, but it doesn't mean we have to be put on the shelf and we're done. God redeems. That's what God does. And Mark is a young man that was redeemed so much so that Paul gave instructions about him. He said, welcome him. But he would write in his very last letter in 2 Timothy 4.11, and some of his last words, he said, get Mark, bring him with you, for he is useful to me for ministry. Whatever happened in the past, that was bygones and bygone days, I should say. But now he was useful in ministry. And justice, he introduced as Jesus. It tells us, I think, the, early, the respect the early church had uh, for the name of Jesus. And they uh, just switched up the name. Remember, Jesus is the Hebrew name Joshua. And it means Jehovah is salvation. So Jesus in the Greek, Joshua in the Hebrew, also a nickname justice referred to here. There are a couple of other justice mentioned in scripture, but I don't know if we can connect them. He just might be a standalone guy that was named here in Paul's letter. Of Aristarchus, Mark, justice, they were Jewish brethren who ministered alongside Paul, brought comfort to him while they were in prison. Epaphras, Luke, Demas, and Nymphus. Epaphras, it says, verse 12, who is one of you, a bondservant of Christ, greets you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers, that you may stand perfect and complete in the will of God. For I bear witness of him that he has a great zeal for you, and those of Laodicea, and those of Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, Demas, greet you. Greet the brethren who are in Laodicea and Nymphus and the church that is in his house. And so we have these Grecian brethren, Epaphras. He calls him a, a fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus. And tradition says that he is the one who founded the church in Laodicea. It's tradition. Can't know for sure. But he had a great love for him. It's relayed in this letter. He's praying for you guys. He's praying that you will stand perfect and complete in the will of God. He's mentioned in chapter one, as well as a dear fellow servant, a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf. So he served the churches of Laodicea and Hierapolis and Colossae. Remember, I told you that these churches were built on a crude triangle of about 12 miles apart from each city. Interesting thing is that after Paul wrote this letter, there was a devastating earthquake that destroyed much of this valley. Laodicea had enough money. Remember, Jesus said in Revelation, you say I am rich. They had enough money to rebuild the city. They didn't need any help from Rome or anything. But for some of these other cities, they were devastated. Colossae never did recover from this. And this letter is coming in advance of a great tragedy that no one knew at the time was coming. So the encouragement, the need of prayer, that you may stand perfect. It means to reach the end, to reach full maturity, complete kind of the same thing uh, to come to maturity, but to accomplish entirely. Luke, 
called the beloved physician. We know he was with Paul back from Acts chapter 16 onward. And he's serving and known throughout the church. Demas, although mentioned here in Philemon chapter 24, his story ends on a sad note in 2 Timothy 4, 9 and 10. Paul writes to Timothy, he says, Be diligent to come to me quickly, for Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world and has departed for Thessalonica. Demas mentioned twice in a positive sense as he was writing his letters to Colossae and Philemon, but by the time Paul closes out his life, he had forsaken because he loved the world. And we see this in church often. Those who have been fired up for the Lord you think, man, God's going to really use that person. God's going to use great things with that individual. And then they just fall off the face of the earth. They disappear and they fall from faith. It's a danger we all need to be aware of. Nymphus is a man that had a house where the church met there in Colossae or in Laodicea. And so he's just named. This is the guy. That's where they hold church at. And so Epaphras, Luke, Demas, Nymphus, along with Tychicus, Onesimus, Archippus, were Paul's Grecian brethren who ministered with him, brought comfort to him while he was in prison. And so we close out in verses 16 through 18 to be attentive. He says, now verse 16, when this epistle is read among you, see that you also read it in the churches of Laodicea, and likewise you read the epistle of Laodicea. We learn that Paul wrote a letter to the Laodiceans. We don't have that letter, but he told the church then to switch up, share the letters. Everybody read each other's letters. But these epistles were written to the churches in that day. They were God's word. 1 Thessalonians 5.26, I charge you by the Lord that this epistle is to be read by all the holy brethren that you're to read the word of God. For the word of God, Hebrews 4.12, is powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, able to divide between soul and spirit, joint and marrow. It's the discerner of the thoughts and the intents of our heart. He mentions Archippus in verse 17, saying, take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord that you may fulfill it. So he's writing to Archippus. He's in Colossae. And so he just has a special note for this young man. He's only mentioned him once before, and it's believed to be the son of Philemon, that they had a church in the house and that Archippus was the pastor. And Paul just reminds him, take heed to the ministry which you've received from the Lord. Fulfill it. Finish it. And then finally, his salutation, verse 18. Salutation with my own hand, Paul Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Amen. Paul have already referred to his chains. It may have made it difficult for him to write. We know in one of the other epistles, he mentions the difficulty with his eyes. But Paul, for the most part, he dictated his letters. Someone else wrote for him. A scribe wrote for him. But he says, I always sign my letters. And here he did. He said, written with my own hand. 2 Thessalonians 3.17, he says, The salutation of Paul with my own hand, which is a sign of every epistle, so I write. He says, I always sign my letters. It might be transcribed for me, but I want you to know that I approve this writing. It's of me. 
And he says, remember my chains. Grace be with you. He always closes his letters with grace. He could have said, remember my chains because I've been unjustly imprisoned in this place. Do whatever you can to fight for me. God bless and amen. But he said, no, grace be to you. He knew that he was in God's hands. Grace referring to God's love and action from which we can find true peace. And Romans 5.20 says, where sin abounds, grace should abound much more. And that's what grace does. And we're to be that grace to others. Remember, grace and salt season people's life with grace and salt. As we close out, uh, we've learned today that we are to stand perfect and complete by being just and fair, being vigilant in life, to be complete in all things and to be attentive. And I believe that if we would do these things, 1 John 1, 4, and these things I write to you, that your joy may be full. That's what God wants for us, that we would have full joy. Father, thank you for your word, for this time in your word this morning. Bless it, Lord, always the teaching of your word to our souls. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Calvary Chapel is a fellowship of believers in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Our greatest desire is to know Christ and to be conformed into his image by the power of his Holy Spirit. If you would like more information about Calvary Chapel, or if you would like a copy of today's message, please contact us at 847-265-0646. That's 847-265-0646. Thank you so much for joining us today, and may the Lord richly bless you as you worship him today. Hey.